Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Well, good evening. Welcome to episode 0000080 of the mission. My name is Daniel James. I'll be your host through to eight this evening, broadcasting to you once again from Studio A at Radio City Docklands. And as we all know, Radio City Docklands is on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And this NADOC work, I particularly pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and any mob that might be out there listening at the moment um, during this uh, sunny, warm day here in uh, old Melbourne town, or NAM, as um, some people like to call it. Um, it is great to be back. I've had a few weeks off. My thanks to Paul Gorry for holding down the fort while I've been off working on um, some other projects. Very much appreciate it. You're always in good hands when Paul's behind the mic. Uh, we've got a great show coming up for you tonight. Shortly, I'll be joined by, in my humble opinion, National Treasurer Pat Anderson, AO. Uh, the Uluru Statement from the Heart is being translated in conjunction with uh, SBS into 60, count them, 60 different languages. So we'll talk to her about that and much more. She's a National Treasurer, so I might as well pick her brains while I have her on the line. Much happening in the uh, Uluru space, much happening in the Indigenous space, and her years and years of experience um, uh, something worth noting, but also something worth talking about. And in the second half of the show, the Victoria's Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People, Justin Muhammad, will join me. He's written a piece for the excellent croaky.org about the increasing use of uh, remand to detain Aboriginal kids in custody here in Victoria. So we'll chew the fat about that. So anyway, happy NAIDOC. This year's theme is always was, always will be. It's something that uh, we say at the top of the show every week, and there's a reason we say it. Sovereignty was never ceded. There was no negotiation for the takeover, the desecration of our land, the polluting of our water, the mining of our land, the destructions of our trees, sacred and otherwise, a practice that shockingly still occurs to this very day, as we saw painfully and recently on Jabarung country in recent weeks. Now, what's important to remember about uh, uh, the National Aboriginals Day uh, an Islander Day of Observance Committee, or what has become known as uh, NADOC Week, is that it was actually born out of a, a movement that stretches right back to the 1920s and 30s, and of course, before that, with uh, the colonial wars. But the movement gained a particular momentum in 1935 when one William Cooper, founder of the uh, Australian Aborigines League, drafted a petition to send to King George V asking for special Aboriginal electorates in federal parliament. And, of course, the Australian government of the day believed that the petition fell outside its constitutional responsibilities, and that's what eventually, one of the instigating factors that actually eventually led to the 1967 referendum. But, um, you know, a petition to get Aboriginal-specific electorates in parliament, does that sound familiar? A voice to parliament, you could call it, I guess. I think the sad thing is that 85 years later, we're still asking for representation in Parliament in the shape of a voice. But it was, what it does tell you is that the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community is a very apt and very willing to play the long game. 
We know that governments come and go. We know that if we keep standing together, united over time, attitudes will and do change. And I reckon we're at a stage now, and it's worth reflect, reflecting this NADOC week. I think we're at a stage now where we're moving beyond the platitude stage, as I like to call it, the, uh, the, the stage of um, social acceptance and, and, and development is the next stage. So you know the platitude stage, right? The stage where a morning tea to celebrate First Nations culture once a year is a box, box ticked. We're having a piece of artwork in a boardroom or an Aboriginal flag at a reception desk gets you to the next phase of uh, your uh, reconciliation action plan. And I think we're at a point now where we're almost past that. I think we're at a stage where the broader community is open and willing to have hard and nuanced conversations and discussions about the issues that confront Aboriginal people and why those issues exist in the first place. Conversations that will be heard and carried forward, hopefully by the next generation. And I'm an optimist by nature and I'm also pragmatic, but I really do truly believe that the next generation gets it and will carry the discussion forward as we move into this millennium. I just know it's going to happen. So while No Knock Week is a celebration of culture and it's a time to be happy, we, we must always remember it is always set in the context of resistance, resilience and solidarity. Triple R. Tonight's first guest, and it's a very special guest at that. We've spoken about the Uluru Statement uh, from the heart many times in this show, and our next guest is one of its strongest advocates. Arnie Pat Anderson Ayo is a Alyawara woman from, um, uh, I think that's in the Northern Territory. Am I correct, Arnie Pat? Yes, Daniel, Northern Territory. Thank God. Battles Northern Territory and... West Queensland, so you're right there. <laughs> oh, on the, on the, it's a cusper, it's a cusper. Um, she has, um, she's well known nationally and internationally as a powerful advocate for uh, health of Australia's first peoples. She has extensive experience in Aboriginal health, including community development, policy formation and research um, ethics. Arnie Pat has spoken before the United Nations Working Group on Indigenous Peoples. She has been uh, the CEO of the Danila Dilba Health Service in Darwin, Chair of the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, Chair of the Aboriginal Medical Services Alliance in the Northern Territory, and was the Chair of the CRC for Aboriginal Health from, from 2003 to 2019. She has served as co-chair on the Prime Minister's Referendum Council and is the current chairperson of the, the Remote Area Health Corporation and the chairperson of the Lewitcher Institute, which many of you would be familiar with. Uh, she is on the line now. Um, I could keep going on and on. <laughs> Her biography is no no means limited to uh, what I just outlined for you, but she is, in short, a national treasurer, and she's on the line now. Aunty Pat, welcome to the mission. Daniel, thank you. That was a very generous uh, introduction. Thank you very much. I could have gone on and on. Now, um, as a, um, uh, a leading proponent of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, it must be um, very exciting to see the statement has now been translated into 60 different languages by um, SBS Radio. Yes, it was a, uh, in collaboration with SBS, and I think they're available now. It's just yep. over um, 60 languages, um, a whole, and um, different interpreters from, uh, from the various language groups. It was quite a, um, uh, not only a, a challenge, but 
we um, we heard later on that the people people the the uh, interpreters were very touched by reading out um, the Uluru statement from the heart in their own languages, yeah. and uh, that was quite a uh, a profound experience for them. But I, I just want to add to, and that they're all, they're, like I said, they're all online now, but also we're working with various interpreter translators, translating services around the country. We will also be doing translating the Uluru Statement from the Heart into as many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander languages as possible. Beautiful. Um, that process is a bit longer and a bit more labour-intensive, but that has, done, that has started um, and, was, and so as soon as those languages come to hand, they also, too, will be posted up. Uh, and the languages also come with a, um, a, a written um, form as well of, of the statement in the various um, languages. So it's, it's, it's really uh, it's, it's, a, it's exciting. It, it's wonderful. And, uh, you know, uh, for many Australians, including our mob, uh, English is not the first language. So these translations, I think, um, offer a powerful way for the whole, the whole Australian community to hear, read, and understand um, what the, um, what's on the table for us now at this uh, at this time as a as a, a, a the culmination of a um, eight six to eight month uh, process talking to people where they live around the different locations uh, around the country. Yeah, the, the, the translations actually breathe new life in, into the statement for various sections of our community. If you want to actually check out the translations, you just go to ulurustatement.org forward slash translations, and there you'll yeah. see that the um, it has been translated into Spanish, Swahili, Tamil, Thai, Filipino, Mandarin, Nepali, um, Greek, uh, uh, Amharic, Albanian, every possible language that you can think of that exists in Australia. Yeah. And it's great yeah. to hear that, the, that there is more work going on to get it uh, translated into the multitude of Indigenous languages there are against the country. Now, um, Aunty yeah. Pat, um, Minister Wyatt was on afternoon briefing with uh, Patricia Carvellis uh, this afternoon on the ABC. And uh, as Patricia does she, does, she pressed him on uh, the Uluru Statement and, and the response. And it would seem that the approach from the Australian government remains to have a legislative response to the Uluru Statement instead of one enshrined in the Constitution. Well, what are your comments on, on that? Well, we've done all this before, haven't we? Uh, most of the organisations that we've set up don't exist anymore, including the big, powerful um, ATSIC. With the stroke of the pen, it just disappeared. So, and how many... We set up our own organisations. We have done every single thing to try to get the Australian public through generation after generation after generation to actually hear us. We remain powerless. So if you have whatever you have... And, and the process that Minister White is promoting is actually um, a voice to government, a voice to government. Yeah, very we different. Now. We've, been talking, we've been talking to government for generations, you know, and that's the point. We need, you know, it's time now to share, to do some power sharing and give us give us some power. And it's, it's a very humble, conservative, modest request that we be, there be a proper process where we can... Uh, Put the things on the agenda for the um, for the for the parliament. Things that are important to us and how they might be done and what have you. That's not a big ask. In fact, 
a lot of our prominent um, justices and what have you, the, the legal profession, the, the majority of them are saying there is no legal impediment to do this. It's absolutely a political decision. And the process now that Minister White is, uh, is overseeing is actually maintaining the status quo. There is no structural reform here. There is no power for us. We have no influence. It's, it's just maintaining what's always been there. And we've all, you know, it just hasn't, it hasn't worked. It just hasn't worked. Everything we've done, despite all our best efforts, it hasn't worked for us. Yeah. He, so this he, is the best thing around. Yeah, he said that... Um, Sorry, Daniel. No, it's, it's okay, Aunt. Um, he said that he was going to push ahead and try and get that legislated before the uh, the next election. Um, so we'll wait and see what happens uh, on on that front. But it is a it is a reminder if it is legislated, it's just another agency that is responsible to government, funded by government, and can be cancelled at the uh, swipe of a pen um, by government. Um, yeah. What uh, what do you? But the think... other thing about yep. sorry, sorry go on. yep. The other thing about that, Daniel, is when it when it says um, voice to government, what we will end up with, <laughs> we will just be talking to bureaucrats. Yeah, we would just be be talking to the public service again, and we've done that over and over and over again. The Uluru statement from the heart calls for structural reform that's going to make a difference. Sorry, and and and, and the thing and the thing about the the statement is that if it, if it does become enshrined in the constitution and it does become a a voice to to parliament, it does like you just mentioned cut out the the middleman, it cuts out the bureaucrats, and it actually has indigenous leaders speaking to the the, the political leaders of the country in an unbiased, um, uh, bipartisan, non-party political way. Um, are you hopeful that we'll get to constitutional reform when it comes to the Uluru statement, or is it going to take a change of government? Um, look, I can't. Um, I can't answer that in terms of we wait for a change of government. I, I, don't, I think we just have to push ahead um, with what uh, we what we've got, what we have, what we have now, and push ahead for um, real real reform, structural reform that's going to that's going to make a difference. You know, because you know the title public servant we use bureaucrats, but the, the moot word there is servants. They carry out the will. Of the mm. people and the you know and the minister and parliament and what have you, um, they aren't the they they you know they're not necessarily the first um, decision makers. So that's another point. But look, I think the time is right. There will be an election. I think we just we the Australian public now because the we offered the statement not to the politicians, not we didn't give it to any prime minister. We gave it as a gift to the Australian people. The Australian people can change the constitution. The Australian people can influence the people that they elect to go to parliament. We have the power, and it's called people power. So if Australians want this structural reform, this changes to happen that's going to make a difference, they need to let their um, their members, both federal, state, and even local council know that they support the statement and they are in favour of real structural reform for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples at last, finally. And if there's one thing that the Aboriginal so community knows, knows how to do, um, uh, and that is to play to play the long game. And um, we've, we've shown over generations that we are yeah. very patient um, in terms of 
um, what we need to do and set out to, to see see reform. And I think that's something that we can bring to the table in terms of educating the general public about how reform actually works. Yeah, look, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of mis, um, misinformation, and uh, look, it's not going to be easy. This is probably going to be the hardest thing that all of us over 18 in Australia today are going to are going to have to do for for a long for no matter another generation. It's not going to be um, easy at all. It's going to be very hard, and you know, for all of us, for the uh, for to make these sorts of changes that's required and are needed now. Um, takes a high level of sophistication and maturity. So we are going to have to have a, a civil, a civil national conversation just so we can move this whole agenda forward, that Australians can feel a bit more um, a, a, at home uh, in this country of ours. I think they feel a little bit uncomfortable here. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's nation-forming. It will change the whole narrative uh, for the country. I think Australians will feel more at home once we, they can sort out, finish this unfinished business with us and that we can um, move forward. As an, I think that uh, the truth-telling is really, really important as well. You know, let's go for, for voice, the Makarata Commission, which will oversee um, treaties or, you know, uh, settlements uh, and with a uh, also um, truth-telling. So well, these things are very... Sorry, go, Daniel. Oh, sorry, and um, what's what's been your response to? I think I think it's a, you know the, the the term is pivot. What's what's your response to the the pivot that the Greens have made in response to the to the earlier statement? They, they seem to have adopted a position now that is calling for treaty first before any voice to Parliament. What, what would you say in response to 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 those sorts of machinations and those sorts of thoughts? Yeah, no, look, it's true. The Greens have um, changed their position. But I think the sequence, and we keep saying the sequence is really important, and one of the main reasons that it's important to have a voice first, because at the moment we do not have a place that can manage and be in control and be the vehicle to deliver um, something as complicated, say, just say for, for, for treaties. There is no vehicle to do that. Now, the only vehicle that could happen if that, that went was that the government will set up another organisation, that they will handpick people to do it. So we'll have another, you know, government um, agency that will be in charge of our future again. So if we have a voice, it'll be us, us, who will manage, we will design, uh, we will be responsible for, and we'll be able to um, uh, talk to each other. And that way it will have um, some cultural authority as well. So it's a totally, we can... You know, we, we do need the voice to be the vehicle to deliver settlements, Makarata, treaty, whatever we decide to do from there, there. But there is no place for us to have amongst ourselves a conversation about how to proceed. So if we can set up the voice, that, that's the vehicle from which all things will happen, including um, the truth-telling, that we will be in charge of that. And that can happen at a local level, wherever people are, and that there can be conversations in every town, in every little big and large in the cities, people getting together, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, and sorting out their history. And we would be in charge of that process, not a government committee that's set up. We would be in charge. That's the point. We will be in charge. 
You make me want to get up and march through a brick wall right now. <laughs> um, now, you've dedicated your life to improving outcomes for our people, particularly in the house sphere. Um, and with that in mind, this night, Week, how far do you think we have come, just in general terms, very general and broad terms, and how far do you think we need to go to get any sort of parity in terms of social justice and um, health outcomes in this country? How far along the road are we, do you think? Mm. That's a bit. That's a bit difficult. But you know, this generation now, and I don't. I don't mean mine, but yours, Daniel, and all the, you know, the younger, the younger people. You are better educated than we were. You're healthier than we were. You have more resources available to you, so you have more of. That's because of the people like you. And well. They, we know we have that, and I'm standing on the on the on the shoulders of others before me. And yeah. you, as you know, Daniel, generation after generation after generation of us, but your generation is in probably um, the best um, the best position um, to uh, move this uh, move this agenda um, forward. So all of us over over eighteen, um, that's our task for this um, for this generation. Um, to move to move forward with um, recognising yep. once and for all. That's a complicated word. I don't like to use that, but this yeah, is right. our place. This landmass, this country, is ours. We were here first. I mean, there's no. It's and we believe from time immemorial, and sixty five thousand years plus is the beginning of time. In fact, we believe that we came up out of the earth. In fact, that we were always here. So, and to be in a position today where we're still fighting for, um, you know, basic, sometimes basic, um, um, well, civil liberties. I mean, how many of our young people are in jail, for goodness sake? It's, you know, um, it's an goes, absolute blight. We are, we are in a bit... Yeah. Sorry, Daniel. It's an absolute blight, the over-representation of uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids <clears throat> in prisons and in youth detention oh. and... Um, in um, in uh, remand, as we were about to have a discussion with uh, Justin Muhammad shortly about that very topic, it's um, yeah. it's yeah. something that um, threatens to um, you know drastically impede the next generation as it comes up. Mm, mm. The, one, the one thing that bothers me about some of the younger people, <laughs> please listen, my plea for you all: talk to your nanas, talk to your family, understand your history. Yeah. You, have a, you have a very, you know, you come, you come from a very long line generation of um, activists. The only achievements and advances that have been made uh, in the country for us, it's been through our own efforts. It's been through our own activism. That's right. So we're asking you again now. What you know, we got to, we got to do it. It's our turn. It's our turn. You know, and the idea of a voice come from that wonderful man, William Cooper, in Victoria. That was his idea. Yeah, all those years ago. In fact, none of us are saying anything that hasn't been said before by all the people that went before us, for goodness sake. And we're, we're knocking on the door again, you know, 1967, um, you know, we asked to be counted, and now we're asking to be heard 53 years later. Hear us. Give us our rightful place in our own country. We've we've achieved nothing without agitation or um, litigation, Art, and you've been one of the great agitators of all time. <laughs> um, how how are you spending um, this uh, this Snowdog week? I understand you're on the road at the moment. 
Well, no, I'm uh, I'm actually just not long come home now. I realised I got to my own door and it was one minute past seven. And I thought, oh goodness me, Daniel's coming. Now looking forward um, to this NADOF, I, you know, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Um, yep. That's a heartfelt cry. We've been saying that um, for forever, ever since those first boats came. Um, so, uh, and it's an it's a, it's a good time to reflect. Um, on who we are, what we need to do, but also to celebrate, to celebrate our wonderful resilience, um, the, our, our, our dedication and commitment um, to family, our dedication and commitment to the struggle with a capital S, which doesn't isn't people don't use those words these days, um, but it's a it's a time for celebration and for and some reflection and to um, just enjoy enjoy who we who we are. Well, I hope so you have I'm a... Looking, I, always like, I always like NADOC week. Yeah, it's, it's, it just got, it's got a bit of, ring, bit of ring to it than Reconciliation Week, I reckon. I just think it's something that um, uh, we, all, we all get involved in, in across the community, and uh, we're doing that in different ways this year, but we're doing it nonetheless. Um, Arnie, Pat, thank you so yeah. much for your time. I hope you have a wonderful NADOC week, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the year, and I hope that um, you get a chance to, to visit Melbourne again in the not-too-distant future. I know, I know, I know, Daniel. Look, thank you for having for having me. I've enjoyed chatting with you. And I'd just like to wish all your listeners out there, enjoy the NADOC, have a happy NADOC week. And again, Daniel, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Aunt. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Um, this next fellow is in the running to be um, a national treasurer if he plays his cards right, but we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens on that front. Um, now, we often think of uh, youth detention rates, youth incarceration, um, but what we don't actually think that much of is the plot and the number of kids that are actually held in remand. Uh, released in late September, the children held on remand in Victoria uh, report charts not only a disturbing growth in the use of remand, more than doubling from 42 to 90 children in eight years to 2019, it shows that around 66% of um, remanded children don't even end up receiving custodial sentences. So they're in remand for no good reason. And at the same time, Aboriginal children compromise 15% of uh, remanded children. And as always, we're overrepresented because we only make up uh, 1% of the broader Victorian population. So our next guest, the Victoria's uh, Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People, Justin Muhammad, is on the line. He's a Gurung man and has penned an article in the uh, wonderful croaky.org. If, you don't, um, if you're not familiar with that publication, I encourage you to go along and check it out. It's C-R-O-A-K-E-Y.org. And he's written about the, the blight of remand and things that can be done to make remand the last course of action and not, as it seems at the moment, the first. Justin, welcome to the mission and um, happy NADOC. Yes, thank you. Um, we like to style ourselves here in Victoria as the so-called progressive state, but the, uh, the appalling rates of Aboriginal kids incarcerated and or on remand um, pretty much make any such claim of being progressive um, a, a bit of a false. What, what would you say to that? Yeah, look, um, as some people that may know me, I've, um, I'm originally from Bundaberg in Queensland, but I moved down to Shepparton 
um, nearly 30 years ago now, um, yeah. or over 30 years ago, and um, I've worked many years in Shepparton and then went to Canberra and then have come back for this role. Um, Victoria, when I was in Canberra and within a number of national roles, I'd say, yeah, Victoria and it attracted me. It was, it was progressive. It had a number of things on its platform like self-determination and treaty and uh, a range of things which really kind of started shifting the, you know, well, it looked like it was shifting the dial. Um, but being back here, and then if you have a close look at statistics, over-representation in child protection, over-representation in the youth justice areas, we, in some ways, we, we aren't even, we're one of the, the poorer represented states in some of those figures and, and, and not leading the way as where, where we should be. So um, to say that we're progressive, we are on um, paper and a number, a number of the actions we do, but when it comes to Aboriginal children and young people, um, in, the, in these two, two particular areas, we're well overrepresented, and um, we need to do something about it. And um, the youth justice area with remand, as you mentioned, many of our young people go into remand, go into a youth justice setting, a centre, uh, a setting of high, high security, um, a fairly sterile setting, and removed from their families and their communities. And it's just the wrong start, um, and they should never be. And many of them, as you mentioned, 60, 60%, 66% of them should never have been in that um, facility at the first place. So what sort of offences are they ending up in remand for? Why And why are they being sent to remand instead of other diversionary programs? What's, what's the modus operandi here around these sorts of matters at the moment? Yeah, that, look, Daniel, that, there's a number of different factors which, which, which causes this. Um, and I know that there's um, people that have been following this and there's a call to raise the age to 14. Well, that that is one of the mechanisms that you've got from 10 to 18 years of age of young people that can be criminally convicted. So remand fits any of that age bracket. Um, the other one is, is that many of our young people, and if you talk about Aboriginal um, children and young people, um, close, I mean, when we when we did the task force in um around the over-representation of Aboriginal young people in the youth justice system. At that time in that period, which is just last year, close to 88% of all young people in the youth justice system in some manner had a connection to child protection. Mm. So when you break that down to child protection, many of the young people that are in residential um, centres or units um, across the state, if they offend... Um, and police are brought in, where do they go? Because they don't have a home to be bailed to because their home is, at the, at that time, unfortunately, is a residential centre. So then they've got to be moved. And then that movement is being remanded to a, a justice facility, which in many cases um, is not the place where they should be. And this, the recent report that was just um, you know released showed that 66% of all children that are remanded don't get custodial sentences, so they shouldn't be there in the first place. Your heart, your heart just breaks for these kids, you know. First of all, they're getting the, the double whammy of um, out-of-home um, care and support, and then once that um, uh, either fails or otherwise, they get thrown in prison for, for committing no crime. Yeah, um, and and you know, and that's exactly right. And and no, no child is in child protection because of what they've done. It's it's exactly. because of you know there might be their parents and the sort of environments that are around that. And and a number of these young people that find themselves in a um, in on remand may be committing offences where another child with a home to go to 
is bailed to, and um, that's mm. and and we know that um, you know like as the reports show that some of the children in um, residential centres which um, get charged are charged for things like damaging public property because they may break a window in that residential centre or they may you know um, may threaten a staff member, um, but. You know, if any of us that have got children know that sometimes as children grow up and teenage life, there's sometimes things which happen in the house which you don't call the police on every one of those moments. But unfortunately, these children are in a position where police seem to be the only option to call, be called into it and they find themselves, um, in some cases, um, as reported, remanded for those uh, particular offences. So, so what needs to happen? What do we need to do to get these remand numbers down? What sort of wraparound supports for these kids yeah. can we can we install? Well, can I just point out, and this is one of the things which really um, come to light during the when we started doing the inquiry in the task force around the overrepresentation of Aboriginal children in in youth justice uh, um, in youth justice in Victoria. The number is relevantly um, at any one period of time around about the 300 mark of Aboriginal children and young people in the youth justice system, which makes the over-representative numbers. So straight away you say 300. How can we reduce that? Well, one of the things we're talking about tonight is less children remand if there's other options for them other than just from residential, potentially, but into Ramana, there's, there's other options in community, on country, mm. um, with their families or the extended families. These these types of um, statistics can be can be changed, you know, dramatically. And um, the way the society and the way um, the Australian law system works, um, the Westernised War Law System, with um, the age of ten being the age where you can be criminally convicted, right through then to how what options there are if a young person doesn't have a safe place or a home to be bailed to is is into a youth justice system. So we'll be saying that we need to um, strengthen the you know resources in community um, and resources and not when I say resources, not only just workers but also places where young people can safely go to and spend their time while they're going through their justice side of things. If you raise the age. That immediately has an impact, but then you you, got, you still need to have the right supports and structures in place in community to be able to support those young people during those times of when they may have made some bad decisions in their lives. Because these kids are going through, you know, obviously have been through trauma and continue to go through trauma and, and ending up in remand, I would guess that there's bugger all support for them to, to deal with the issues they're dealing with in, in a remand setting. Would I be correct? Um, you're very little. I mean, once you're in a remand setting, there's a whole lot of other things at play, and that's also the environment of of the day-to-day changes within a in, in a youth justice centre. Um, and a, a person, and this is what I kind of think as a father, you know, why would you want anyone any one of your children to be in a youth justice centre when they don't have to be there? But yeah. that's the only option. And that's what we're trying to get get across. That we've got to make different options and alternative options other than just a youth um, a youth justice centre. And I guess Justin, it's up to people power as much as anything else to make sure that our elected officials, um, our local members of parliament, our local councillors, 
um, are aware that um, the community is aware of these issues and that we find it here in 2020 unacceptable to have kids locked up and have 66% of them being locked up for, for absolutely no good reason. Is there um, a campaign or um, a social media campaign or, or some such that um, people can attach themselves to to put some pressure on our elected officials to get some of these things changed, like lifting the age? Yeah, well, the, the, there is the um, Change the Record, which is um, a, uh, an Aboriginal justice campaign um, around, and they have a number of different platforms to um, they're advocating on, on behalf of, and one of them is raising the age to 14, which is but basically is the minimum standard that the UN, UN has set. Yep. Um, and that definitely would have an impact of some sort. Um, the other part too is, um, and this is where we're from, where we are with the commission and working with the Department of Justice, is looking at alternative ways of how we can um, provide the protection, the support, and the rehabilitation for young people where they may step out, you know, they may do something. Um, but we know in all of our lives we've all kind of maybe done something which sometimes you're lucky the law hasn't been brought in or you've had someone in your corner who's advocated for you or pulled you in the line. Yeah. Um, and having a system which can do more of that for our young people instead of the, the system we've got now, which is, you know, police, court and then the youth justice um, centres, which is we know doesn't work and... The number of young people that reoffend once they go through that system shows us that 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 style of um, of trying to work with young people that have made some um, bad decisions or not so smart decisions just don't do um, do not work. Uh, before I let you go, Justin, um, when I spoke to you last, you were busily going around in the state um, consulting with uh, communities all over the place about the um, our youth our way inquiry, and then the pandemic hit. Um, I understand that that inquiry now will table its report with um, with the government or with the parliament in the um, first sitting of uh, 2021. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. It's been. I mean, we're hoping to, to get it in parliament and tabled um, in 2020. Um, obviously, the pandemic has caused a few delays with that, um, and I think uh, rightfully so too. Is that we just kind of thought um, in 2021 we will have a, a, a maybe hopefully a, a clearer space to really project and advocate the um, issues and the and the recommendations um, along with the um, voice of the young person um, to parliament and to obviously others which will be following the report very closely but um, this report is hoping to really um, you know challenge not only the youth justice area, but all the other supporting um, organisations and departments around which, which, which is connected to young people as they go through their, their early life, and that includes education and, the, and child protection and sporting groups and a whole range of areas which um, we all know makes it, um, you know, contributes and, and feeds into a young person's development. Well, we eagerly await the uh, tabling of the report. And when it's um, tabled, Justin, we'll have you back on the show to go through the nuts and bolts of it. But um, for the time being, thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.